Hey friends, what's up? Man, it's good to be with you. Such an honor to be with you today. Thank you for making time to be with us today online. Want to just say a warm welcome to all of our church family. Man, I wish I could give you guys a hug or a dap or a handshake or a chest bump, high five, something, man. I can't wait to see all you guys and hopefully that will happen soon, soon enough. Also, if you're uh, a guest with us today, man, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're uh, joining us online, and we hope to see you in person when we're able to open back up uh, our service gatherings. But man, we, we want one thing for you today. All the people of Antioch, Dallas, just desire for you to be encouraged, to be inspired, and for you to know that God deeply, deeply loves you and has a plan for your life. Um, today, we're going to jump into God's Word. I believe He has some fresh insight and revelation for us as we listen, as we put into practice uh, the things that he's going to share with us today through his word. And it's going to be a game changer. I'm telling you right now, it's a game changer for us, for our families, for our church, our city, and our nation. Uh, if you missed us last week or you're jumping in for the first time this week, we're in part two of a series on how to pray. I've been reminded again and again over how, how in every unique season and circumstance and stage of life, that there are unique invitations from Jesus to come to him and to learn from him. And we believe that in this season, our church has the invitation from Jesus to a deeper and more fervent devotion to prayer. He wants to teach us to pray just as he taught his first disciples. And I know that the unrest and the, the tension in our nation related to injustice in our land and uh, the many economic hardships that people are facing right now and as everyone navigates through the continued life-altering circumstances related to, to COVID and just tries to figure that out. I mean, not to mention you know, just the daily stress and pressure of life, of, of raising a family, working a job, all of that stuff. In the middle of all that, Jesus is inviting us to come to him and to learn how to pray. In the book of Acts in the Bible, we read that the early church was living in a unique time in history. It was exploding with tension, with political tension and racial tensions, just like our world today. The cultural, economic gaps uh, were wider than ever. I mean, people were really struggling and faced the daily pressure of just trying to provide for their families. As Jesus finished his earthly ministry and ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples this command, this charge, that they were to pray. Don't go start in a church. Don't go do anything. Go do, don't minister. Wait and pray. And that's what they did. And we see in Acts 1, 14, it says they were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. See, behind the scenes and before the breakthrough, before the church was launched that would change the world, ordinary people like you and I were together devoted to prayer. And as they cried out to the Lord with worship, with prayer, God moved powerfully. He moved in them and he moved through them. Thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. Unbelievable miracles began to take place. Families were restored. I mean, generosity in the church just exploded as people began to share their belongings with one another and take care of one another. And we even see that systemic racism in that day in the Middle East began to change, began to crumble. And what was the secret? It started with obedience to Jesus, expressed in devotion to prayer. And in our day, the secret to breakthrough, the breakthrough that we need, that our city needs, that our nation needs, it's not a new method or a new strategy. One of my favorite authors, Ian Bounds, says it this way, man is looking for better methods 
God is looking for men of prayer. Man is God's method. As a church family, that's exactly who God has called us to be in this hour of history. Men and women of prayer. Just like the early church, we're called to be people who are together, devoted to prayer behind the scenes and before the breakthrough. As we learn how to pray together, we introduced a, a helpful acronym last week that we are using. Uh, it's, it's not one that we made up. Uh, it's from a guy named Pete Gregg who wrote a book, How to Pray, which we're also reading. And this acronym, uh, it is very simple. It is PRAY, P-R-A-Y. And it stands for pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And it outlines a, just a roadmap through which we can begin to learn to pray. And again, I say it's not the way to pray, it's a way, but we found it to be a very helpful way. And so over the next few weeks, we're continuing to teach through and we're going to dive in and dig in deeper into each of these aspects along the way. And so this series, we're moving, or this Sunday, we are moving on to R, which means rejoice. Rejoice, all right? Who's ready to rejoice? I am. Now, I'm going to be full disclosure here for a second. When it comes to rejoicing, I've got to be real with you. Sometimes I have a love-hate relationship with the idea of rejoicing. There are times in my life when I cannot help but rejoice. I experienced one of those recently. We had a plumbing issue at our house that had been weighing on me for months and months and months. And we had a plumber come out and he told us it was going to cost $6,000 to fix the issue. And they were going to have to jack up our foundation and all of this stuff. I was dreading it. Oh, I was so frustrated. I mean, stimulus check just came in and now it's going out. I was so frustrated. But we decided to get a second opinion. And so our, our faithful second opinion plumber, Wes, I'll never forget his name, comes out and guess what? He clears the, the leak. He clears the line. And he says, man, it's only going to cost $300. I was ecstatic. I began to run around. I'm calling my friends and family. We're killing the fatted calf. I mean, it is a party. We're going to celebrate. I turned to my wife and I'm like, we're going out to eat tonight. It's going to be great. I was so happy. I love rejoicing when there's good times, right? But on the other side, and I might be the only one, and that's okay, but I'll go ahead and share my struggle with you anyway. See, here's the tension I feel. Sometimes I don't feel like rejoicing. There, I said it. Sometimes I don't feel like rejoicing. Sometimes my circumstances stink. And I don't want to rejoice and sing and shout hallelujah. Life is hard. I mean, I even saw this bumper sticker one time on a car. And I, I'm not going to fully quote it. I'm not going to exactly repeat what it says, but I'll give you the idea. It just said, stuff happens. And I'm embarrassed to say that in that moment, I kind of wanted to honk and be like, hey, dude, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Life is hard. Life is hard. And let's be real, when things aren't going right in life, things aren't turning out like you desired, other people hurt you or mistreat you, rejoicing in God might not even be on the radar. You know, when the music fades, the hype dies down, the honeymoon is over, when the environment changes maybe, and I'm around friends that don't know Jesus and don't love Jesus, when bitterness, depression, offense, and isolation seem like much better options, Man, we're called to rejoice. And there's this verse in the Bible that every time I read, I'm stirred, I'm challenged, and I am conflicted. 
You know, if God gave everyone a two to three free passes to just mark out one of the verses in the Bible that you didn't like and didn't want to obey, if I were allowed, which we're not, let's be very clear about that, but if I were, one of those might be the one that I'm going to share with you here in just a second. Philippians 4.4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is a command, y'all. This is a command. Really? Always? I had to say it again just to make sure you got it? No exceptions? None at all? Who wrote this? Who wrote this? He doesn't know the first thing about my life and what I have to go through and the struggle that I'm in. He probably hasn't been mistreated like me or had unfulfilled dreams or unanswered prayers like I have. Who wrote this? Well, you might be surprised to know that the guy who wrote this under the command and the power and the instruction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually does know a little bit about struggle and about suffering and unfulfilled hopes. His name was Paul. He was one of the early church leaders. And we can actually look at his example to find fresh hope and courage to rejoice in our approach to God in prayer. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 16. Grab your Bible uh, set it out there in front of you or your phone, whatever you're using. I want to encourage everyone to have a Bible in front of them. We're going to read in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 7. And when they had come, they is Paul and his friend uh, Silas. When they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas in a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So he has a dream at night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. To where? Philippi. That's important. Remember that. Which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. So here's the recap. Paul has his dream where God is calling him to Macedonia. And so they go from where they were all the way to Macedonia to Philippi. You know how far it was? 150 miles. 150 miles. I mean, that's like, like just loading up the car and driving all the way out to Abilene, where I used to live. I mean, that's a far way, except they walked and they sailed. So they go all the way to Macedonia, and they find the leading city called Philippi. And they began to minister. And I'm going to fast forward with kind of a recap of what happens next in Acts chapter 16. They meet a woman named Lydia. She receives Christ along with her whole household. But then it starts to get messy. See, Paul is walking around town and there's this woman that is calling after him, but he, she has a demon. And she keeps pestering him and pestering him and pestering him and stirring up strife. And so he turns and he rebukes the demon and casts the demon out of her. The problem is, is that she was a fortune teller and she made a whole lot of money for her bosses. But this woman gets set free, but her owners, they want to destroy Paul and Silas by stirring up the whole city. They end up beating them and throwing them in prison. 
And we pick up the story in verse 23 of Acts 16. So they're beaten, they're thrown in prison. Verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So where are you in this situation? Like, what are you do? What's your MO here? What are you going to do? You've obeyed God. You've gone 150 miles by foot and by sailboat. And he's led you to this place on a dream. And nothing seems to be going right. Your back is bleeding, leaning up against a dirty rock wall. Your feet are in uncomfortable stocks. Rats are nibbling on your toes. It's late. You're tired. Where are you at emotionally in this moment? Bitter, offended, gossiping about how bad the people of this city are? Depressed, not feeling it? Well, by this time, you've already had plenty of time to pause. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. So what happens next? Let's look. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They're rejoicing. What? <laughs> How? No rocking worship band, no Spotify playlist, extreme physical discomfort in the midst of a bunch of criminals wondering if the dream God gave them was an illusion and they're praying and singing hymns. What is the secret here? I mean, how, how can this be? This is guy crazy. What, how can this be? Is this fake? Is he just like totally plastic? What is going on? Well, we get a clue later in Paul's writing to the Philippians. The same people that lived in this city, the church that was planted in this city during this time. Years later, he's writing them a letter. A few verses after he said the whole bit about rejoicing, always. He says this, Philippians 4, verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The secret. Okay. <laughs> What's the secret? Tell me. Don't hold out. Don't hold me in suspense. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the secret? It's Him. It's Jesus. It's the presence of God. Now, I thought that this was a, a, a line that FCA created, to be honest, a verse that, that just helped athletes work out harder. But no, it's in the Bible. It's true. It's real. The secret, it's Him. Jesus, God, our Father, the Holy Spirit, it's Him. He's the secret. Wait, so are you saying that the secret to rejoicing is not my circumstances or my temporal emotions? Yes, the source of our rejoicing is Him. It's His presence. It's His goodness. Pete Gregg, the author of the book that we're reading together right now. He wrote it this way, and it just jumped off the page of me. I underlined, highlighted, starred, the whole thing. Page 53, it says, after more than 25 years in pastoral ministry, 20 of them preaching on prayer, 
I've come to the conclusion that most people's biggest problem with prayer is God. They envisage Him scowling, perpetually disapproving, invariably disappointed in needing to be placated or persuaded in prayer. Wow. A.W. Tozer, another author, says this, whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing in your Christian walk. Friends, God is not mostly sad. He's not mostly mad, but glad. He is a rejoicing God. He is full of joy, exploding with joy. His joy is unshakable. It's unending. We have a loving Father in heaven who is on our side. You're called as His son, His daughter, His beloved child. Just let that sink in for a moment. We've got to pause and we've got to fix our hearts on this truth. Let that sink in. Let me share a few verses with you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Friends, rejoicing in the Lord means choosing to fix your attention and focus on the greater reality of his love and affection for you. Paul and Silas were focused on different circumstances than everyone else. Everyone else was just fixed on the circumstances of what was going on, and they were thinking on another reality. And that's how they could sing and rejoice. That they knew that God was with them and that God loved them. He was the secret. His presence was the secret to give them strength to endure anything and all things. But watch what happens next in the story. Man, it gets even better. I love this. As they're singing to God, likely from one of the psalms that we have in our Bible, you can go and you can sing that same psalm today. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. God shook the place. He shook the place in response to their worship and their rejoicing when they didn't feel like it. You know, there's something about a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of rejoicing, a hallelujah anyhow or any way that moves the heart of God. And it doesn't just move the heart of God. It moves earth. It moves heaven and earth. Look at this. All, immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Jailbreak. Look, it wasn't just Paul and Silas's doors and their chains. See, when we choose to rejoice, doors open, chains fall off people around us too. Fathers, when you choose to rejoice, God sets your children free, your wife free. He brings breakthrough in your home. Children, I don't, you're maybe five years old. When you choose to rejoice, God sets your mom and your dad free. 
Friends, when we choose to rejoice in our place of encounter where we seek God, where we pause and we rejoice, he sets people free. It's awesome. Verse 27, look, it says, when the jailer woke, uh uh-oh, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners escaped. I mean, the prison doors are open, everyone's gone, for sure. But Paul cries out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we're all here. The prisoners, they didn't dare move. They, they put two and two together. They knew what was going on in this moment. The jailer, it says, he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. I love it. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, we don't know how long he was there. He might have been trembling there in fear for like minutes or for a long while. But then he says, man, what do I do to know this God that you serve? What must I do to be saved? They hadn't even shared the gospel with them yet. They hadn't even, you know, told them the four steps to salvation or the Roman road. Like, he wants God. He wants to know God. And a rejoicing people will always point people to the goodness of God. What value this God must have that you can rejoice in Him even in the midst of this circumstance. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. They spoke the word of the Lord to Him and all who are in His house. And listen to this, the whole family comes to Christ because two dudes choose to rejoice in the Lord when they don't feel like it, when it was costly and their circumstance was difficult. Verse 33, he took them the same hour, the same night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his, all his family. Everyone's getting washed. <laughs> People are getting baptized. People's wounds are getting healed. I mean, it's awesome. Verse 34, then he brought them into his house and set food before them and wait for it. I love this last verse that we'll read. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. See that? Rejoicing multiplies. Rejoicing is contagious. Rejoicing spreads. And when we choose to rejoice, it changes the atmosphere of our lives and around our lives. Many, many years ago, my dad was at a gas station on the way home from church late at night. This was when we were living in San Diego, California. And he was pumping gas. He was tired. He was weary been a long day, late at night, and he just lifts up his hands in the middle of this gas station and begins to sing and begins to just rejoice in how good God is. He sings hallelujah and just goes for it as he loves to do often. And he gets startled because he feels a tap on the shoulder. The night manager comes out of the gas station, taps him on the shoulder and wants to know, what are you doing? What are you doing? He had several questions, and my dad said, well, I'm singing to the God that loves me. And this man said, I've got many questions, but most of all, I want to know a God that would cause you to sing like that. They read a few Bible verses together about Jesus, and the guy received Jesus. Together, they led this guy's mom to the Lord, and they became strong Jesus-loving members of the church. Friends, one of the most powerful things you can do in all your life is to get with God in your place of encounter, wherever and whenever that is, 
and simply rejoice in the Lord. Now I'm going to give you a quick catchphrase to just help remember this truth. Now I'm telling you, if you heard last week, this one is even more corny than the one I shared last week. I'm embarrassed to even say it. It rhymes, okay? But here it is. The choice to rejoice with your voice leads to freedom and joy in God's presence. There it is. I know. Hashtag dad joke, whatever you want to say. The choice to rejoice with your voice leads to freedom and joy in God's presence. There you have it. The choice to rejoice, that's the battleground where we see the breakthrough, friends, in prayer. Now the question is, how do I, how do, I do that practically, Jeremy? It's great, I'm inspired, Paul's awesome, Silas awesome, we want to be like them, but, but what do we do? Like seriously, what does this look like? Young professional, I'm Dallas Donnie here, what, like what do I do? Stay at home mom, businessman, hectic schedule, demanding schedule. Well, honestly, there's a ton of great applications for rejoicing, which you can find in the book that we're reading. I want to encourage you to do that. You can read the chapter this week, How to Pray by Pete Gregg, and he shares a lot of great practical examples for how we can rejoice in our time of prayer with the Lord. You know, the most common practice for rejoicing is in song, singing worship songs, putting on music and just worshiping the Lord. We do that every time that we gather because we want to rejoice in the Lord. You can worship. You can sing all of those things. We regularly do that, and I hope you regularly do that alone with God and in community. But I want to share another simple way that you can rejoice in the Lord. You know, the church has a long liturgy of books of prayer, written prayers by godly men and women of our faith, designed to just strengthen and equip and disciple the church in prayer. You know, years ago, I was stuck in a rut in my, my walk with Jesus, my prayer. I, I just kind of, I, I couldn't find the words to pray. It felt stale. It felt dry. I mean, every time I went to pray, I would just say, you know, like, God, thank you for the day. Help it be good. Please bless me. I don't want to fail my test. Amen. I mean, I was just kind of just stuck in, in no creativity, no life. And in that season, my mom she gave me one of the books of prayer that has been used throughout church history uh, in that time. And I began to use it in my time with God in prayer. It's called the Valley of Vision. It's one of many. And God's Spirit began to bring a fresh wave of joy into my prayers. So I want to read a prayer of rejoicing from this book of prayer that she gave me as a model of a way to rejoice. And I want to encourage you, you can do the same. You can read a psalm. Uh, you can find one of these books of prayer and use it in your time with the Lord to give you language to rejoice in God. I love it because it's rooted in the history of our faith. And so as we begin to close, I want to practice this. I want to just model it for you. I'm going to read uh, from one of these prayers. It's right here, Valley of Vision. The, the title of this prayer is Joy. And so you can close your eyes or just assume a posture of prayer. And after pausing to just wait on God's presence, and we go into rejoicing, it can be something like this. O Christ, all thy ways of mercy tend to an end in my delight. Thou didst weep, sorrow, suffer that I might rejoice. For my joy thou hast sent the Comforter, multiplied thy promises, shown me my future happiness, 
given me a living fountain. Thou art preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy. Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. Measure out to me my times and degrees of joy at my work, business, and duties. If I weep at night, give me joy in the morning. Let me rest in the thought of thy love. Pardon for sin, my title to heaven, my future unspotted state. I am an unworthy recipient of thy grace. I often disesteem thy blood and slight thy love, but can in repentance draw water from the wells of your joyous forgiveness. Let my heart leap towards the eternal Sabbath, where the work of redemption and sanctification and preservation and glorification is finished and perfected forever, where thou wilt rejoice over me with joy. There is no joy like the joy of heaven, for in that state are no sad divisions, unchristian quarrels, contentions, evil designs, weariness, hunger, cold, sadness, sin, suffering, persecutions, toils of duty. O healthful place where none are sick. O happy land where all are kings. O holy assembly where all are priests. How free a state where none are servants except to thee. Bring me speedily to the land of joy. Amen. Friends, the choice to rejoice with your voice leads to freedom and joy in God's presence. Pausing to become aware of God's presence is step one in prayer. And now choosing to rejoice, to thank Him, to adore Him, to honor Him, to worship Him is our the next step in prayer. And now we're ready for our next step in the P-R-A-Y acronym, A, which is asking, which we will dig into next week.